0: Hey, what's going on guys. Welcome to the John Papaloni show today. I have fellow realtor, Zach Cahill. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks, John.
1: Uh, yeah, just disclaimer Lord. I'm, I'm a real estate investor, John, not a realtor yet.
0: My bad. I, I always thought you had your license for some reason all good i knew i knew the investment part i just always thought you, i assumed you were licensed as well no nope. some awesome so why don't we start off the podcast that, in this case where you tell us what you do who you are and how you got there
1: yeah for sure john um honestly my my story goes back to about 2013 2014 i had graduated to become a paramedic in London, Ontario. And shortly after graduating, I applied like, you know, for those who don't know, it's a very competitive industry. So I applied all over Ontario and got a call from of all places, a small town called Espanola, which was about uh, 45 minutes away from Sudbury. And lo and behold, that's where I ended up getting hired. And I thought I was going to be going up to, you know, Sudbury for like four months. I ended up staying there for eight years. Wow. <laughs> uh, sh- shortly after got that part-time job, I ended up getting full-time, which took me up north, uh, even further up north to a town uh, just outside of Timmins, Ontario, if you're familiar with, with Timmins. Oh, yeah. So I was doing like a four hour commute to go to work, stay up, stay up the ambulance base for two, three, four, five days at a time. And then in uh, 2015, my paramedic partner gave me this shiny book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And that really changed the trajectory. So you know, went from knowing nothing in real estate to just diving in in 2015, doing a lot of you know learning, and then 2017 purchased the, the first property. Uh, and today, you know, I'm owning a real estate portfolio of about 100 multi-family units in Sudbury, uh, anywhere between six, eight plexes, twelve plexes. Uh, I've started a rent-to-own company that we've been able to take it really across Canada into multiple different provinces. So we have about 90 houses on that program. And we also help other investors get involved in, in, uh, flips, uh, we're doing, you know, six flips right now in, in Sudbury, uh, you know, just, just pretty busy right now, all things real estate. So it's been a journey.
0: Yeah. Which you opened up so many boxes in that statement there. And like, one of them is like, like you're still investing, even with the interest rates that have gone up. And I love that because you know what? This is what I believe. I believe the numbers are the numbers and that's what you have to base your decisions on interest rate really doesn't matter as interest goes up. The amount you can spend goes down, but at the end of the day, if the numbers work, it doesn't really matter what it is. And, you know what, instead of getting a six cap rate, maybe you'll get a four cap rate, but that's temporary. And I don't think you should make, you know, permanent decisions on temporary problems.
1: A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Like the, if anything, the interest rates, like in my opinion, I've given us more opportunities, Um, you know, especially with, you know, the off market, you know, deals that, you know, we're, we're working with with sellers and um, the flips that we have going on. One of the distinguishes that I've, you know, made a lot of mistakes early on, but one of the distinguishments for me is, you know, my my multifamily portfolio, like I use that for generational wealth, meaning, you know, it doesn't really matter if my interest rates go up or down or you know, something breaks, I just keep the cash flow in those buildings. And that's, you know, we make money long term, right. And I use more active strategies like wholesaling, flipping. Um, Also, I also do private lending myself and uh, investing in rent to owns to actually put cash on the table every month, if that makes sense. So it kind of distinguished that very early on that you kind of need to have more of an active income, you know, to pay your bills and balancing that with more of a generational strategy.
0: Got it. So yeah, you still have an active income is what you're basically saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, th- how this happened was because at the very beginning, a lot of uh, the content I was learning about was about bursts. Like it was a very, let's you know, be honest, it was a very sexy topic, right? You know, <laughs> buy this property, renovate it, refinance, make all this passive income, you know, buy buy 50 units, each one cash flow is 100 a unit, you got 5k a month passively. And in my experience, it was really the complete opposite. So when we bought our first. Property in 2017. It was a six unit apartment building in Sudbury. We we added a seventh unit to it. So, you know, like a sevenplex. And it was like I started another full-time job, number one. <laughs> right, leaving the paramedic job, going home to to manage the tenants and the contractors and making sure everything was on track. But really after the refinance, John, I noticed that it wasn't cracked up in a sense of cash flow like one month we would make a thousand dollars next month we would lose a thousand next month we would make 500 then we would lose 500 very inconsistent because of maintenance issues and tenants turning over and interest rates right <laughs> utilities right you, you kind of name it so i realized that even if i had like you know 50 of these seven plexes i still would be working my full-time job so that's when i you know, branched into more of doing uh, like the rent own strategy, I'll be honest, of, of something that could get me more cash flow a month. And then once I achieved that cash flow goal, was able to quit my full time job, then I, you know, then I continued to focus on more of the generational multifamily. So that's just kind of been my, you know, experience after, you know, sometimes what you read and learn about and talk to other investors about isn't actually what it seems until you. You know get started right it's a lot of work
0: think these are the two things I want to debunk I mean problem number one is this idea that real estate investing is a passive income talk to any damn landlord and ask them how passive that really is and and, and it's not I love it, right so and then the second thing that you brought up the birth strategy is definitely not what it's cracked up to be now I've never been a major fan of the birth strategy I also didn't think it was a fault because I my, my belief is that if you're going to get into real estate and the birth strategy is the only way you're gonna get in then do it it's better than sitting on the sidelines but are there better strategies out there absolutely right so and, and that's what i truly believe i've never been a big fan of the birth strategy but and i don't know if i'm right or wrong and i also in the way that i grew up and the whole you know pay off your mortgage being debt free you know carrying debt is bad you know i mean I, I grew up with that mentality now to that my point that part of that mindset is wrong but i don't think it's as wrong as a lot of uh, gurus speak it is and here's what i yeah. mean here's what i mean and you can um, give me your perspective what i mean is that i agree with that there's no way you're going to big uh, be you know get a big enough portfolio with no debt that's going to be physically impossible and you're making it such a slow growth that you're really never going to scale to the level you want but at the same time i don't believe that you put money in have the uh, you know the debt there and have everything being paid off and then you take the money out just so you can go back into more debt. Not unless you have a different you know, a strategy for it that's gonna earn you more money. So I i I believe with the whole thing you put the money in and I do believe in the renovate to up the level so then you can up the rents. And then at that point in time, I believe in keeping the money in there and let it appreciate while you're collecting the higher rents.
1: Yeah, no I, I love that. I think John, like there's a there's a middle ground there, right? So 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 for instance, like if you can do a, this the burst successfully, like it could be one of the most wealth generational strategies, like in terms of just creating wealth. Um but you're right in the sense of like I look Looking at my multi-family portfolio most of the buildings john are at like 60 percent loan to value meaning you know we didn't actually refinance to 80 percent. we didn't take on that extra debt because i you know you get you almost get into this like you know positive feedback loop where you're financing properties and you have to buy more that are making more what you're making and you're know, you're just accumulating all this debt and uh all of a sudden the interest rates go up to seven percent and now your whole portfolio is underwater right? So we, you know, a couple of my business partners, funny enough, they're they're actually much older than me. They're in their mid fifties. Um, they've been through the micro cycle. So that was kind of how I was able to, you know, learn that. So I, I don't necessarily rely on doing burrs and doing the refinancing, putting that big debt. I think there's definitely a spot for it in, in anyone's real estate portfolio, but it is as being an active investor, it's definitely not passive, right? You're, you're rolling up your sleeves, no matter who tells you what. It is definitely a full-time job to, to execute.
0: Yeah, exactly. And now here's the thing. Again, there are people that this burst strategy works for. I'm just not a big fan of it. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a story because, uh, and I'm not sure if you would have, uh, like if you've been around long enough to to have experienced this or seen it, but uh, going to that 80-20, you refinance to get back to the 80-20 split. Here's what happens now. The market took a bit of a dip. Right. So just say uh, we're going to, I'm going to use fictitious numbers. So if you had a million dollar property and just say you had that 40% and you had 400,000 in and 600,000 was the mortgage, you refinance it to make it $800,000 and 200,000 of your money's in. Great. You got that cash flow out. Now, more than likely, that's not going to sit in your bank. You're going to use the money somewhere else. What happens when the interest rates go to 7% and that million dollar valuation now becomes 850,000? If it's your primary residence, more than likely the bank will not call you, but I can promise to you that if this is rental units and multifamilies like you're saying and you're now under that 20 percent ltv they're calling you and saying either sell it or bring it back up to 20 percent now you have to have the money you just took out and put it back in at the higher interest rate uh, a lot of people think that's not going to happen they're going to want to keep that whatever no it will happen there's been people out there that did that and they leveraged themselves so far that when the market has dipped like that they were forced to go through bankruptcy prime example look at Dave Ramsey himself well, he he didn't go bankrupt because his houses weren't producing cash flow they were he didn't go bankrupt because he was missing payments because he wasn't he went bankrupt why because the banks called the loan why because the market went tough and that a to value went down and they called him on his loan and there you go so it happens now i don't that's why and now i get it most people aren't gonna have 40% to get in there. So you're gonna to have to start at the twenty eighty to get in. But I believe once you build up that appreciation, let it build, right? And that's just my opinion. Again, it doesn't work for everybody and everybody else. Some people have contingencies for this and to each their own. But that's my point of view.
1: Yeah. No, I, I agree too, John. Really, the biggest learning lessons and what I kind of preached when I'm talking with a new investor experience is really understanding like what your personal goals are in real estate, right? Like it sounds so simple, but, uh, you know, for instance, I just, talked to an investor like a few weeks ago and she spent, you know, $50,000 on education and real estate. And I had asked her what her, you know, three, four, five year term like goals were and she didn't know. Right. So this is stuff that you guys can do for free is really understanding like what you're hoping to achieve from real estate. Right. Like I knew right away that I was an entrepreneur. I wanted to get my hands dirty. Right. I I wanted to do this as a full time job. One of the first questions I ask people is like, are you investing in real estate to replace your full-time job. Are you trying to be the active investor or are you investing to just make some extra cash on the side, right? To supplement your retirement. And there's a massive difference there. I see a lot of people like that are doing strategies that you should only be doing if you're trying to replace your job, right? And instead they're just, just causing so much headaches and stress. So starting with that why John, I find it's like so, so important of why you're actually getting into this. You know, is it to replace your job? Is it just to supplement your retirement? Making that distinction early on. And once you have that distinction, then you can pick a real estate investment strategy that aligns with your goals, your personal goals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you on that. And 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 that's the thing, which brings up the next point here where I'm going to get into is that uh, in terms of, you, got, you went to rent to own strategy, like you built that up. How did you come about that? And how did you, uh, like, what was your setup?
1: Yeah, so unique in the sense that, you know, one of the early mentors from afar was actually Grant Cardone it was you know buy as many units as possible you and i still love the guy but you'll cash flow more so that's why we went the first property ever was the six unit apartment thinking about cash flow but after refinancing it getting a higher mortgage right the cash flow just wasn't existent so i needed to pivot that strategy to to achieve my personal goal of, of attaining monthly cash flow so i just heard of rent to own actually on a similar podcast to this. Uh, she was, I uh, heard her on a few different podcasts. She was actually teaching rent to own uh, for Robert Kiyosaki, one of the elite trainers. And I honestly just hounded her. I'm a firm believer that, you know, if you're trying to learn something, you need to find someone that's doing what you want to do. So she had about 200 of these projects at the time. I handed her on social media for about four and a half months until she took me on as a, as a student <laughs> and learned from her how to do it. Okay. And once I had that blueprint, I was able to build like a team around it. Did the first deal with my mom. That's how confident I felt in the strategy. She was like her last (laughs) year of retirement and I captured her mortgage qualification power and then worked with my brother on the second. And then from there it was like, oh, I I finally found an outside investor. We did about four of these projects together um, and just slowly like built it up year over year.
0: Yeah. Which is incredible. I mean, like I personally found, especially now, let's be honest this year, there might be much more opportunities. I think your biggest hurdle right now is that a lot of people are retracting with capital. They don't want to loan it out. They don't want to invest it they are trying to hold on to it, to uh, you know, out of a scarcity mindset, I guess. But we're uh, but the point I'm getting at: something like a rent-to-own will still work. So I think finding investors for this will it will be easier to find them and get them to say yes in that scenario, where you know we'll say uh, two years ago when it was in the heat of the market and people could literally buy a home for a million bucks, hold on to it for 90 days, and get 1.15. In ninety days, I think that was would have been harder for people to want to hold on to something for longevity that way, and that's just my perspective. And I'm not sure what was your experience, and like, am, am I on the right track here, or have you found it differently?
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know when when the interest rates were lower, it it was easier for us to find investors that wanted bur projects, um, that wanted rent to own projects. Um, when they started, you know, give you some context, when they started going up, uh, you know, we, we, usually, we usually wholesaled all of, like we're talking about a flipping company. We used to do a lot of wholesaling. We went from wholesaling all of our deals to closing on, you know, six of them with our own money because our buyers were so scared of what was going to happen, right? So right now, like, you know, it's it's still been attractive to find people that want to invest in rent-owns for sure. Um, I'm a big believer of becoming like a sophisticated investor and earning Your returns based on cash flow and mortgage pay down, and you know, and using appreciation as a bonus, right? Cause there's how many people, like I've known a dozen people that got absolutely burned by continuing through that strategy, John, you know, buying for 1 million, you know, hoping that it's going to go up to 1.2 next year. And then it went down to 800,000. You just lost 200 grand, right? Like those are big numbers so for me i've always been a firm believer of like making sure you have the cash flow um, and tr- and really helping educate investors on the same because you know this strategy isn't talked about a lot right like you know we do it a definitely a unique way and we, like tremendous success way and our mission in the owned company is not to make money either it's truly to help people become a homeowner right leveraging the strategy so I'm just kind of all about those win wins. And even in a market like this, John, like we're still setting up rent to owns that are consistently cash flowing, aren't relying on interest rates. The tenants taking care of all the maintenance, all the utilities. So, just much, it's like a much different strategy than just, you know, your typical buy and hold or burr working with tenants that don't necessarily keep up with the property maintenance
0: yeah yeah i'm a big fan of the buy and hold right like and i believe in multifamily. like we're talking the same yep. language i mean for god's sakes i'm a realtor and i tell people do not buy a home in ontario right that's my main message yeah right and it's one of those things if you want to live here by all means but buy your investment property buy a multifamily, and use the cash flow to fund your rental so you're living for free and you're building equity while you're doing that That is the better way to do it. Now I'm a hypocrite. I was a hypocrite for most of my life. I had my own home. Now I stayed in my own home. Now, recently I sold it and I was going to go to rent, but I downgraded to a condo. But obviously what I sold for and what I bought for weren't the same. So I kept some cash flow for investment purposes. And that was intentional, right? That was absolutely intentional. So I'm a half hypocrite now. We're up till now. I've been a complete hypocrite because (laughs) (laughs) I bought my house. Now, for the most part, I, until I started getting into investments and buying multiple, multiple places and stuff, I was mortgage free. I was that, you know, yeah, I don't have a mortgage. Woohoo you know, like, and then I decided to explore. So, and again, I'm thankful for everything. I've had some learning lessons in there. I, nothing's been perfect. And I've had some, uh, you know, great wins. So, um, but with that being said, right, like I learned that, The single family home is a disaster. It's not what it's cracked up to be at all. And I know right now that if uh, Robert Kiyosaki would be shaking his head at me because he's going to, you know, he he would say, well, how are people supposed to get in? And he's got to, and that would be a point, right? Because guy wakes up one day, he says, I have $100,000. I want to buy a multifamily. I've never had experience in realtors. I don't even know how to turn on the water, let alone turn it off. I don't think a a bank is going to fund that. But (laughs) so I understand people have to start somewhere. But at some point in time, you do have the experience and you got to venture out. And I think when you really start growing fooling yeah. yourself is when you get into multifamily.
1: Yeah, no, no. I like I, I honestly have like a little bit of, of mixed feelings about it because I know follow Robert very closely. And you know, your single family home is your your liability, right? It takes money out of your jeans. Um, when we bought our single family home in Sudbury in 2017, I made sure that it was for it was not an investment. It was specifically for our place to live, right? We wanted to do that for our own personal comfort. So I think as long as you know you're buying your single family home and knowing that you're okay with it, going down in value and not relying on that as an investment strategy like that is something that you you guys need to understand and then you, you there's still like we got lucky right like when we bought in 2017 to when we sold we sold our home just earlier uh, this year and moved back to uh, london to be closer to family and you know like when we, we put our five percent down in closing costs we were talking about i think our, i think our investment was like under 20 grand you know and we walked away with 320 after the sale, right? So that's that's a bonus, like we weren't r- relying on that. If we would have sold and got our 20 grand back, we would have been more than happy. But that's a distinction that, you know, especially you gotta make if you're getting into the, the home market. And we did exactly what you said, John, we just put all that money into private lending and just renting right now and we will buy another home. 100% we will, but it's not for an investment. It's just, you know, got the kids we don't want to be renting we want that security um and my mixed feeling with it too is like real estate's like the number one way how canadians have built their wealth through their single family homes so it's like you know i hate like you don't really want to be relying on the appreciation but getting the home for your family and just being secure in it i think there's something to kind of be said there and potentially having the the market going up over the next you know 5 10 15 years and capitalizing on that
0: absolutely like look i i again i'm not telling everybody don't buy a home right like that's not my real message my message is sure we all have goals and it's great to have goals it's great to you know i mean have that um that uh wall with all your pictures of everything you want to manifest into your life and like uh, you know I, I, that it, it's good it's good goals and dreams are what what makes life worth living and with that being said have that home as your goal, and there's nothing wrong with that. But, but, use the cash flow from your investments to pay that bill, right? Like, get your investments first. That's all my message is. Now, I still believe in when you're investing, don't invest in Ontario, and you probably think I'm friggin' nuts, but... um. <laughs> <laughs> I' was born, raised and lived in Ontario my whole life I'm a message and I'm a realtor and a mortgage broker, uh, mortgage agent in Ontario. my messages do not buy in Ontario but my reasoning is that it's we don't have a landlord and tenant board. we have a tenant board and um, I think it is a ma- you know it is too risky to be out there and doing that. When you can go into other places that are landlord friendly and you won't have those kind of issues where it's a lot easier to invest with a peace of mind. Now, if you don't want to leave Canada, you can go to Alberta. They they are very reasonable with their rules. Very reasonable. I mean, on both sides. It's not that, you know, like, I, I, let me be clear. When I say the landlord friendly, I'm not talking about let's find a way to, you know, be scum lords. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where the fact that in Ontario somebody does not pay your rent and they don't pay you for three months straight. You go to see the landlord and tenant board, it's gonna be a good 18 months before you get in front of them. And that's assuming you haven't made any mistakes. And you make mistakes 18 months down the road, they're gonna look at your mistake and say, sorry, you got this wrong. Correct it. That's gonna take another 18 months to see them. So you could potentially be out three years without getting paid. Now, who you know that that's too much risk in my eyes way too much risk. Now, the way to get around it is you buy new construction, but again, how, you know, you're not building the whole new building yourself. You're, you're, you're going to be buying one or two units at a time. And that ends up being way too expensive. Like you said, you need wholesale and you're not going to get wholesale in new construction. In fact, new construction is actually priced higher than resale right now. So, and that's why, how I conclude to buy outside of Ontario, but yeah. you have a product. The reason I'm fascinated with what you do is because you have a product that negates everything I just said because you're doing rent to own. What happens is the investor's making a six or seven or 8% cap rate, whatever it is. And eventually the exit plan is that the that the renter is gonna turn to home ro- owner and get their own mortgage and they get their money out. Because of that, I cannot see somebody renting the house and say, I am not gonna pay, I'm gonna ruin the house and I'm gonna go find some other place. You just paid towards your deposit why would you do that so i see you having less problems that way and that would be my uh, exception if you're doing a rent to own investment great investment anywhere you go
1: yeah no you're you know a lot about the rent to own so that's exactly kind of why i had pivoted there was because you know even today with our you know 90 or so units in the multi family right we have multiple uh probably like at one honestly with everything we got going on right now we probably have close to maybe 15 cases at the board if we're also including, uh, you know, some flips that we have going. We're just, you know, tenants not paying, etc. And you're exactly right, you have filings there and you get one day wrong on your submission and everything gets thrown out. And we've been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> So with with the rent to own, right? Like, you know, very, very small chance of having tenancy issues because, you know, we're getting these people to put in like 20,000, 30,000. We had one guy uh, in Peterborough put in, you know, just over $60,000 as a pretty much like a non-refundable deposit in the sense that if he decides not to pay rent or doesn't follow the agreement, like they don't get that money back. Right. And it's not set up there to take advantage of tenants. It's actually the quite opposite. It's very hard to get approved on our program. We only work with people like families that, you know, usually are dual income, make great money, but they just have, you know, a, a hiccup in the past that's pre- preventing them from at a home a great client we have right now is like new immigrants to Canada. You know, they're coming in with jobs, down payments, and they just can't get a mortgage because of like the government's laws and we put in place with them. So I would much rather to be working with a rent-owned family that's going to take care of the property, keep in good shape and be emotionally attached to the property because they love it and financially attached because they're, you know, giving us the 20, 30, 40,000 towards it.
0: Right. And and, uh, the intention is that they're eventually going to buy it out. So everybody wins. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's, I mean, that's why we're 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 in this, our company has a mission in the... A goal to to help 10,000 people become homeowners and doing that is going to help them build wealth, help them eventually become one of our investors, right? So it's just, that's kind of the full circle. So we're, we're really more like a financial education company helping, you know, new families learn how, like what's financing, what's budget like none of this stuff's taught in schools, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm super passionate about it.
0: Well, here's the uh, key question because a lot of people are going to look at that and say, okay, great, you get an investor to do this. How the hell do you find these investors? Where do they come from? It's not like they're in the yellow pages saying real estate investor give me a call you know like (laughs) yeah
1: yeah yeah. i mean uh so try to give you like you know some more value here right so uh like i know a lot of people might just say you know real estate meetup groups and that's been that's been a a source for sure like i learned early on that you're starting with like your a you know I, i don't know if you're familiar with like your a b and c type of circles so like you're starting with your a circle which are you know, typically your family, letting know, everyone know like kind of what you're doing. That's how I got started, right? Had the proof of concept with uh, my mom and my brother. And then eventually like, you know, your B circle would be like friends, you know, friends, family, friends, etc. Just talk about it wherever you're going, right? I, I quickly got to the C circle, which was people that you have no idea who they are, right? But they're they're out there. And uh, yeah, learn just, you know, if you can kind of create the avatar of your perfect investor. So that's gonna be different, whether you're a rent to own investor or someone looking for bird deals, et cetera. There's gonna be that different type of investor avatar. If you can kind of really define who that is, you can go out and find them in in, in different groups. So for like, for example, uh, like Facebook groups has been a really big one for us right now. Uh, you know, especially like, let's just look at all the Facebook groups. You're looking at off-market deals. Well, most likely a BRRR investor is gonna be in that Facebook group, right? It's free to join it. You can reach out to people. It's just putting in the reps. Um, and then there's other groups for passive investors, you know, so that's, that's really been social media. John has been kind of my, my number one way. Makes sense. Um, I constantly, yeah. And folk like right now, I've kind of, you know, scaled up more. I don't really do one-on-ones. It's kind of been more like one-to-many presentations and that, and that sort of thing. And just constantly giving back and educating and being the authority in the space. So if someone has a question on rent to own, some of us a question on Sudbury investing. They're they're usually messaging me, right?
0: Yeah, which brings up the point: why Sudbury, out of all places, why?
1: Yeah, so I mean, like at the beginning, that's where I was living, right? I was living in Sudbury as, uh, and then I was driving up to Folliot, was the town's name when I was working as a paramedic. So I was already there, already did my kind of analysis of, of the market, and it just made sense. Like there was just, you know, it was the only city in northern Ontario which was growing in terms of population. Um, we had the healthcare up there. We had uh, the CRA, which is, a, I think, the second biggest one in Canada.
0: Taboo. What's that? Taboo. taboo. CRA, taboo.
1: Yeah, taboo, <laughs> for sure. At least it employs 4,000 people or so. That's good. Um, and then, like, the schools, too, right? Like, we have multiple universities, colleges. And to top it off, it was, uh, like, the mining sector as well. Like, Sudbury is on the map. You no, I think we're the second or third most mineral dense place in the entire world, right? Like we're the mining capital by Canada, but even on a global scale, it's uh, like we signed a partnership with uh, Elon Musk and Tesla. I think that was earlier this year or last year to find all the nickel for all the EV vehicles. So I kind of saw this, you know, happening and that's, you know, where I want to grow, you know, my, my multifamily portfolio because it's not just about the appreciation either, right? We get the cash flow. You know, um, it's like our two-bedroom apartments, we're still renting for 1500 to $1,600 a month, right? It's very comparable. And like the last statistic, and this one I love to share, is is the household income, okay? If we look at the household income compared to the average purchase price, you know at a place like subbury the household income is around eighty thousand dollars a house okay when we can buy a detached single family home for anywhere from like 300 to 500k wow okay look at a city like london where i'm living now and i, and I love being in london because of the family but not necessarily the house prices okay detached income sorry detached or uh <laughs> household income detached income that's funny household income is less in london than it is in subbury less And yet the home prices are, I just saw like a three bed, two bath got listed across the street for like $800,000. So you can kind of see that despair, right? So I love cities that have strong household income and relatively affordable home prices, because those are the cities that are more stable when you see downward spirals in the market. Like we just saw in places like Toronto, London, Vancouver went down like 30% where Sudbury had a, minor blip right yeah so that's
0: that's fascinating right i just learned something from you there because i did not know those numbers for sudbury i did not know that it was a mining spot either i just looked at Sudbury's the boonies and i knew nothing about it i knew the cra thing again taboo i knew the uh medical part too that 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 is just common knowledge the mining part is uh you know something i just learned and uh the income versus cost of housing is a new fact that I just learned so yeah you're right um and you're right I did realize that subbury is kind of got a little bit of a push a little bit of a boost their numbers are higher than where they used to be so I did see it was becoming a hot spot I just never knew why
1: yeah and I think I mean you know just like we're in a really good spot there just being in Canada with like the immigration that's coming right so really across Canada there's a definitely a housing crisis right so know everyone's really feeding into the gta toronto that's where most of the million immigrants are you know kind of moving to and from there dispersing you know outwards like we're even looking at you know Timmins, ontario it's been a like i know a couple friends that invest up in that area and just definitely poised for growth so i'm more the investor that's focusing on the you know don't really care too much about appreciation it's it's got to make sense on the cash flow and if if we can get appreciation that's uh that's definitely
0: a bonus love that absolutely love that now for anybody who's uh you know listening to this and thinking hey i want to start this on my own for where i live like regardless of where in the world they live what would your advice be like because there's always that hesitation of like i want to do this but i'm scared so what would you tell that person
1: yeah well uh, first things first is the fear never goes away uh ever like the first property i bought is terrified you know i'm putting together you know not i'm not terrified anymore but you still feel that you know that pressure so just understand that that's the normal process and then from there honestly john because it's going to go back to the this thing i said at the beginning of the call it's really understanding what are you hoping to achieve through real estate investing real estate is just a vehicle to get you to your your goal okay so you need to make sure that it's the right vehicle if you're on an island somewhere and you're driving a car You're never getting there. Okay. So really understand what you're hoping to achieve. Is it passive income? Is it you're trying to be an active investor and generate wealth and, you know, fund deals and basically kind of do what, you know, we're doing, John, Um, and making that distinction. And once you have that, pick a strategy that's going to help get you there, right? At the beginning, I was trying to focus on monthly cash flow, but yet I picked a strategy that was like a, didn't get me anywhere closer to my goal. Right. Just wasn't getting the cash flow. So that I hope that helps anyone that's like looking to kind of jump into it, get started. There's a lot of education. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is, you know, even if you jump in and you make mistakes, which is going to happen, you just got to keep persevering and just be relentless. Right. Because the worst thing you could do is just sit on the sidelines. That's the worst. That is the worst option. (laughs) Right. I'd rather uh, imagine I was still sitting on the silence waiting for a perfect deal in 2017. Right. I would not be here where I am right now.
0: I absolutely agree with you. That's why I always say that the best thing to do is to get into the multifamily, to get the multiple rents, and just to go big. But that's not possible to start off with. So my advice is always just start. Doesn't matter where, doesn't matter how, doesn't matter what, just get in the market and then build from there.
1: So that time i in the market.
0: Exactly. So, which brings up, uh, you know, we're down to our last two questions before I go into what I call the lightning round. So my second last question is how do you know you've had a successful day?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Successful day. Uh, honestly, it's, it's based purely on like how, uh, how I'm feeling. Uh, you know, I, I think what goes hand in hand with any sort of business or real estate is like personal development, right? So, you know, if I, even though some might see like a successful day, like I didn't move from this office for 12 hours, 16 hours and I haven't eaten and you know, you feel like shit, let's be honest. Um, that's not my version of success. Even if I closed 10 deals that day, Right. So for me, it's like how I'm personally, you know, and as I'm saying this, like today's like on the borderline, like I've been pushing myself too much. So I, I'm more trying to be balanced, you know, go take 50 minutes, go for that walk. You got that hour appointment, get on the call and say, I'll only be on it for 45 minutes and take that extra 15 minutes, go for a walk, clear your head. So that's kind of, you know, I just more on the personal development side, um, spending time with the kids, 100%.
0: Love that. Absolutely love that. For all those watching and want to reach out to you or interested in getting into your program, where do they find you?
1: Yeah. So actually, I'll just share uh, our cell phone number. You can definitely shoot me a text at 705-419-1644. Pretty much all over uh, the social media platforms as well. Just type in Zach Cahill and I should... uh, should find me.
0: Wonderful. All right. Now, so for a fun, uh, you know, few questions. Question number Perfect. one is gonna be: What's your favorite food and why?
1: Oh my goodness! I have to go with uh, Chinese food. It's just, uh, yeah, I just love food. I'm definitely a foodie. I worked lots of different restaurants as growing up, and maybe it's just because I couldn't cook it myself, and I just enjoy ordering it.
0: Yeah, that makes Probably. sense. I get it. <laughs> Um, question number two, favorite travel spot and why?
1: Oh, oh man. Travel. I didn't even know that it still existed after COVID. (laughs) So, uh, like I, I've traveled to, uh, England before a few times, uh, and my, all my family's over there. So Liverpool in England, that's a huge Liverpool soccer fan. All the families there as well so
0: got it all right question number three favorite book or podcast and or podcast
1: oh favorite book i think right now probably have to go with relentless by uh tim grover who is michael jordan's coach or was michael jordan's coach it just really kind of change I read that book, uh, kind of right when it came out, it changed my perspective on just on competition and like, I'm a very competitive athlete. And after I read that, I was like, I'm just going to compete with myself. And you know, it's just, yeah, yeah, definitely changed, uh, how I, how I view the competition.
0: Well, now I know where that saying comes And Everybody says, don't compete with the com- your competition, compete with yourself. And I thought, okay, well. I I mean, the chances are the people saying that didn't come up with it themselves.
1: Yeah. I think it's been out there. And then Tim Grover just, you know, he refers to you as a, as a cleaner and there's, there's only so many of those out there. So yeah.
0: I mean, it's a good saying. It's a great saying, but you know, when you start seeing it over and over and over and over nine out of 10 times, it's somebody repeating something.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, it is.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Last but not least, if you had unlimited amount of money and you could do whatever you want with it, but you had 48 hours to spend it, what you spend, you get to keep what you don't spend, you lose. What would you do?
1: Oh, this surprisingly, I think this one's going to be easy. Cause, uh, I have a vision to starting a, like an endowment fund, which is like, I don't go too much into it, but it's like, you know, instead of just investing in a charity and taking that and, you know, buying, supplies with it. It's more just investing it into endowment fund. The profits are what gets reinvested. So I would take all that money and I would just invest it, all of it, every last penny into endowment fund, make the profits and then reinvest that into uh, definitely a cause that I would be passionate about.
0: Awesome. Zach, this has been an incredible episode. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thanks, John. It was a pleasure.
0: Absolutely. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more episodes, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in to the John Papaloni show.